Let's ask the Lord to help us and to be our teacher. Father God, we come before you. We ask that you might help us to quiet our hearts, that we would hear your voice, Lord. We don't want to hear people's voices. We want to hear your voice. And we just ask that our hearts might be quiet before you so that we can hear you. And where we come from, all kinds of walks of life, we all have all different kinds of problems. But Lord, we want to give those problems to you. You fill out things in our lives, Lord, hard things sometimes, so that you get our attention. And I praise God for those hard times. I praise God for those hard times that help us to lean heavily on you and to get to know you in a more intimate way. Lord, we're going to spend eternity with you. We need to know you here so that when we walk into heaven, it will be so familiar. And at last, we'll see Jesus. So God, we just ask that you would be our teacher and our guide, that you would open up our ears. And then, Lord, one more thing, that we might be doers of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Few books in the New Testament have more to say to us than this little book of Jude. His word speaks forcefully today as it did 2,000 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago. Since the author of this letter was the brother of James and does not say he's an apostle, then it'd have to be Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. I always find it interesting that the Lord's brothers and his sisters did not uh, acknowledge him for who he was until after the resurrection. And what does that tell us? It tells us that Jesus had a very normal upbringing. My thought is that Joseph uh, probably died early and Jesus filled that slot of helping his mother and, and of being in charge. But nothing unusual because his brethren, in fact, they came after him a couple of times wanting to bring him home because they thought he was delusional. So anyway, it'll be interesting when we get to heaven to be able to talk to uh, Jude and James and find out what it was like growing up in the Lord with the Lord. No, they didn't believe till afterwards. And picking up John 7, 5, there's a lot of verses that point that out, that they were non-believers. Jude also um, was not a believer. He and James came to know the Lord probably at the same time. And this is also found in 1 Corinthians 9, 5, where they are all gathered, his brethren are gathered to receive the Holy Spirit. They're waiting for that to happen. So Jude seems to be sitting down to write this little letter someplace in the year 60 to 64, prior to the fall of Jerusalem. It sounds like he was going to just write a word of encouragement but then he gets into it and realizes that the uh, prophecy that Peter had talked about, there would be scoffers that would come. And Judah's saying, yes, they're here. <laughs> and so he's warning us. In verse 1, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, another word could be invited. All are invited, but not everyone chooses to follow. And sanctified by God, there is a purpose for our being saved, is that God wants to make us holy and set apart for his use. And in my Bible it says, preserved in Jesus Christ. And I love the word preserved. Your Bible probably said kept, but somehow kept doesn't quite fulfill it as much as preserved. Well, this is a Greek word, T-E-R-E-O, terio. It's found five times in this little letter. And my Bible says it's preserved. And the neat part about it is then you're kept. And why is that important? Because some days you wake up, 
like I did this morning and you don't feel saved because you just got all kinds of grumblies going on up here and in here and, and you don't feel like you belong to the Lord. But I, so I like that word kept or preserved. God is hanging on to us and he's not going to let us go. And as we abide in him, we fully understand that. And in Jesus' high priestly prayer, prayer in John 17, verse 12, Jesus states that in his prayer to his father, he says in verse 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them. And again, that kept, preserved them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. So, who is that one? Well, we all know who that one is, and that was Judas. He also reminds them back in John 13, 10, and this is when Jesus is washing their feet at the Last Supper, and Peter says, oh, don't wash my feet. And he says, well, you can't have any part with me if your feet aren't washed. So Peter says, oh, wash all of me then. Now, Peter was really into it, but the Lord said, he who has bathed, in other words, he who has been washed by Christ, needs only to wash his feet. That's First John 1, 9, because we easily fall into sin, don't we? But it is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Of course, he was talking about the one that would betray him. He knew right from the beginning, and he plays a very important part in our lesson today as we look at him. Those were all kept, and because of the cross, Believers have a very special place in God's heart and mind. And you might wake up someday and think, nobody loves me. But listen, God loves you and you are very, very precious to him. Don't ever lose sight of that. Well, according to your memory work here is, is a verse about being an apostate. And uh, for, for certain men who crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for condemnation, ungodly men, who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only God, our Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to get a good understanding of what the word apostate. It's interesting, it's not found here in this little letter, but he's referring to it all the time. Please note this, if you don't get this, everything else will be askew. That an apostate is not a true believer, but is a look-alike. Oh, well you're making that up. No. Back in the Gospel, and it talks about the wheat and the tares. They look very much alike, but uh, it's only the wheat that belongs to the Lord. My thought is that we have these people all around us, and I'm, I'm sure that most of us aren't aware of that. These are people who profess to accept the truth. They will even talk the talk. Oh, I'm born again. I trust the Savior. Then they turn from the faith. Judas would be the best example of that where he was totally with the disciples, you would have never known it, only the Lord himself knew about it. Because you might say, well, I think that's what's wrong with Mrs. Brown at our church. <laughs> well, just be really careful there, because of Judas, none of the disciples knew that he was the one. They all said, is it I? They just simply didn't know But God knew the heart, and he knows the heart today. You know, at Second Peter, we've already had this 2.21 where he calls them pigs and dogs. So he doesn't mince any words on these apostates. God's sheep are separate. We have a new nature. We're born again. An apostate does not have a new nature, and he's not born again. And unfortunately, they're all around us, and they end up oftentimes in our churches. That last part of that verse 4 tells us that they have turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only God, our Lord Jesus Christ. 
They're, so they're absent of moral restraint. You and I think twice before we do things, well, most of the time. Sometimes we just plunge right out into it. But we know in our hearts that we've done something wrong. And so God is quick to point that out. So I gave you that thing on the Da Vinci Code, and I don't even know how to spell it, so you have one extra letter in there. Sorry about that. <laughs> but you know where I, where I was last summer writing it, because that's exactly what had come into the movie houses, was the Da Vinci Code. I was so happy to see it be a flop. But the problem is, it showed Jesus having sex, I, th I think, with Mary, and maybe Martha, sometimes they tried to make him have sex with both of them. Anyway, a child was born, and that child was, you know, has come down all through the ages. And uh, what a sham, because it's, you know, it's, it's blasphemous. Because Jesus came to save us. He's God. <laughs> He's not uh, some code that we have to figure out. Praise the Lord. But oftentimes apostates like cultists will use the word of God to promote and defend their false doctrine. I think, and I'm not picking on these people, but one that comes to my mind so easily are homosexuals. They'll say, well, I'm a Christian homosexual. And what they've done is they've taken the word of God and used it, part of it. God does love them, there's no question. But he can't accept them if they're going to stay in sin. And I know that many of you have brothers, sisters, children that are involved in it. And all I can tell you is that the sin of homosexuality is very, very addicting, and it's very seductive. But again, that's an, uh, an example, and of course, we, we know what God's Word says and how He's against that sin, but He's against every sin. Please remember that. But what happens if we say anything about it is then somebody says, we are not tolerant. You know. So what is the new religion today? It's one of being tolerant. And that's where you and I have to be very careful because it, it's easy to say, well, she'll, she'll, she won't like me if I say anything. But that isn't the issue whether you're liked or not. The issue is she needs the Lord or he needs the Lord. You know, the, the, the heaviness of all of this is that everything that apostates do is under the guise of religion, which makes their sin even greater. Now, I know you probably go to church Sunday and think, oh, is she apostate? Oh, is he apostate? <laughs> and you'll be looking around. <laughs> all I say is be careful that you aren't. That's the main thing. <laughs> and sometimes our behavior belies the fact we belong to the Lord. But you know, new believers need to be taught sound doctrine. I hope every one of the churches that are, rec uh, that are represented here have a, uh, a beginner's class so that they can know who is God, who is Jesus, who is the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to walk by faith? Every church needs that. We need to be rooted and grounded in just the basics. And then that promotes the health of the local church. And I just think about those who are in charge of new members or in charge of putting people in places of teaching or whatever, that they really need to be examined. Are they of the faith? Oh, well, Mrs. So-and-so gives lots of money to the church. Well, no, that isn't the issue. The issue is, is that person born again? Do they love the Lord? Are they walking with the Lord? And otherwise, you're making members of apostates. That's serious. You know, if it weren't for faith, faithful believers down through the ages guarding the precious truth of the Word of God, uh, and investing it in others, the church, you have to remember, is only one generation away from an extinction. I think my husband and I came to Christ through Bible Study Fellowship. Praise God for Miss Johnson, who was very reluctant to start a Bible study. She started a Bible study and thousands have come to Christ. She never married, but she'll have so many children in heaven 
that shall be just swamped with them all. Praise God. And every one of us in here heard it from somebody. There are no grandchildren in heaven. I was really taken aback in Indonesia because my translator in this church, I asked him how long he'd been a Christian, and he said, oh, I've always been a Christian. I was born into a Christian family. And so here I am, ugh, what do I say? So I said, no, everybody has to make their individual decision. And um, so I hope and pray that because you belong to a particular church or that your parents were Christian, that you think you're okay, that there's no grandchildren in heaven as such. Everyone, every generation must make that decision. You know, Jude here tells us about contending for the faith. And that's a very strong word he uses. It means to agonize, to agonize for the faith and hang on to it. People will tell you all kinds of things, but I'm still come back to the fact that my sheep hear my voice. But you know, it's a fight. And we can't fight the Lord's battles from a rocking chair. Now, really, the idea is there's sometimes you'll be laid out in the hospital bed and you say, well, I can't get up and fight anything. And I say to you, become a prayer warrior. God needs prayer warriors. We need to be praying for our missionaries. We need to be praying for our churches. We need to be praying for our pastors. And that uh, is something each of us can do. Things aren't going right in your home. Well, you need to be walking around on your knees then, praying for things to get better, things to go different. And that trials come along to make you trust him all that more. Now, of course, I've got down here, uh, you know, to fight for the faith, but then always speak the truth in love. And we need to remember that our weapons are spiritual. You don't slug it out with somebody in the church because we, not, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. So if you've got something going between you and somebody else, know that if the devil has stirred that up and we have spiritual warfare, that we need to reevaluate and reassess. You have all of God's promises. He wants you to trust him, to stand on those. You say, well, I'd rather go out with a club. Well, yeah, I know. I like to hit that guy, too. But... Uh, <laughs> Then you're on the wrong track. Anyway, I'll, I'll come alongside you and say, yeah, I'd like to hit him too, but let's, let's pray about it. Well, it's interesting how Jude reaches back into the Old Testament here, history and gives us three examples of God's victory over those who had resisted him. And uh, his Old Testament three examples are first, the saved people of the land of Egypt after, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And that's the first one. Well, what is that all about? That is about when God, through Moses, brought his people, about a million and a half, maybe even two million people out of the land of Egypt, uh, got them out in the wilderness. They weren't very spiritual. If you ever really want to read about people who weren't spiritual, read about the Israelites, because they simply refused to believe God. They were really under the sin of unbelief. So I would urge you, the next time you come up against some situation, just ask yourself, am I, am I believing the Lord in this situation, or am I in the sin of unbelief? So they got to the land, 12 spies were sent in, 10 came back and said, yes, indeed, the land was very rich and plentiful, but there's giants in the land. We can't go in. In fact, we better go back to Egypt. I mean, it was, they were just desperately afraid, whereas Caleb and Joshua said, let's go for it. God has given it to us. Well. All those that didn't believe, guess what they had to do? They had to walk around the desert for 40, almost 40 years till they all died off. If you've ever thought about Moses, can you imagine? He must have been having funerals every day, burying people. 
until all of that generation died off and only those under the age of 20 were allowed to go and go into the land. What was wrong with all that it was a sin of unbelief. We need to really stand for the faith, stand for the truth, and believe God, or there's, a, there's cost. And then the next one was the fallen angels, and we don't know a whole lot about the fallen angels other than that and they were punished. Some landed here on earth to be demons, and a lot of them were chained. What was their problem? They rebelled against God. It's interesting, the only two things that God creators, man and angels, both of them, rebelled against God. What a testimony <laughs> for our independence. We're not very good. And please remember, there's no salvation for angels. And the other one is Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, I, I never can get that out of my mind, that part in about Sodom and Gomorrah where the angels had gone into Lot's house and then the men of the city want to have sex with those angels and they come and they're climbing all over his house and then they were struck with blindness. Did that make them stop? No, it didn't. It made them continue to try to get in. It's a very sad situation and there's only one explanation for that is that again, they were actually into bestiality too and it was constant. It wasn't something that was just on occasion. And the point that we have to remember is that that sin happens to be very addicting. Well, gambling can be addicting and drinking can be addicting. So it's pretty easy for us to get pretty in, in, uh, addicted. Then we have verses 7 and 8. Let's see, that's Solomon Gomorrah and 8. And then uh, Jude switches gears and he goes into, likewise also the, um, these dreamers. What does he mean by dreamers? These are people that have delusions or visions or something going on that's uh, not godly. Defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. That's an interesting word, that a word dig dignitaries. I like that idea here, rejects authority. About 20 years ago, there used to be a little sign that says, question authority. And it seems like we've just gone right from questioning authority right into rejecting authority today. And um, you speak evil of dignitaries. Well, I took that at face value. And my Bible has a little blurb at the bottom that says, uh, the false teachers even rejected those who were placed in positions of authority in local congregations. They not only preferred error to truth, but also demeaned and rejected those who taught the truth. So they're out doing a lot of things that are creating pure havoc. So if your Bible said, let's see, it didn't say dignitaries, it said celestial beings. You know, take it for what it's worth. We don't know a whole lot about angels. So I'd much rather take it as dignitaries because it fits right in with Korah, rebellion of Korah. Did you see, here it says, Michael the archangel is contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a, a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. And you say, man, what does that mean? That's really weird. But the point is, God knew his people better than they did, that if his people knew where Moses was buried, they'd make an idol out of him. And they'd go there and they'd worship there. What was God wanting to do? He wanted to move them into the Holy Land and Jerusalem would be the place where the temple would be, not Moses. And yet, that was Michael, the archangel, didn't even mess with the devil, he gave him right over to the Lord. Well, I want to encourage you because we do have uh, some weapons. Again, we have the armor of God, we have the promises of God. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If you draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. You have everything to overcome. 
or to stay the course. And I don't know about some of you, but I have been in a real place of darkness where there wasn't any light and it was kind of an overwhelming feeling. And yet I know better than going by my feelings, so I simply trusted scripture and brought out those verses and that, that darkness fled. That's best to let God take care of that. We don't know a whole lot. We don't know very much at all, that's what I think. <laughs> but anyway, then he goes on to say, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know it naturally, like brute beasts and these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, they have run greedily in the air of Balaam and for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Again, we're right back to this whole thing of authority. One thing you and I must not forget, that those in places of power, your pastor, Governor Schwarzenegger, President Bush, etc., God has put those people in place. He, he puts up one, he puts down another. Sometimes he's accomplishing something, maybe he's trying to get us on our knees. We not, you know, we don't know. But you and I should not sit around and chew these people to death. You know, how many times after a church service, somebody's, well, the pastor didn't do very good today. I wonder what was wrong with him. You know, don't go into that. Anyway, this, all of these three guys are all into real rebellion. What is the way of Cain? The way of Cain is religious effort on my own terms. And that's exactly what Cain wanted to do. He didn't want to please God. He just wanted to do something to, to uh, save his conscience. He didn't have any concern for God. And he certainly didn't have for man. He rebelled against God's authority. And of course, he murders his brother. And yet he was warned about it. Then he went out and made a wonderful city. He was very uh, rich. He had everything, except he didn't have God. A lot of people doing that today. What is the error of Balaam? I love the story of Balaam. And if you haven't heard it before, reread it. Those, it's a great story. I still, I can't get over the fact that his donkey talked to him and, and um, Balaam didn't say, how come you're talking to me? He <laughs> said he's acted just like it was happening all the time. And I just love the way God revealed himself to Balaam by um, having that angel there. Anything, wait, that the point of the whole thing is that, uh, what's the error? It's the error of uh, doing something for money. His whole thing, it's mentioned twice in that verse, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. See, he was out to make money, and yet he was a true prophet of God. That's a big no-no. He was willing to prostitute his gifts in order to make money, in order to curse God's people. Well, he hadn't heard of the uh, promise back in Genesis 12 that those that bless Israel will be blessed and those that curse Israel will be cursed. That's uh, still true today. What was Korah's rebellion? This is the one we really need to get a handle on, is that he was rebelling against authority. He resented the leadership of Moses, and he spoke against him, and he, in reality, was speaking against God. So when you speak against Terminator in Sacramento, <laughs> you're speaking against God. See, that's the thing that we miss in that. It's such an important thing. Uh, the warning today, it's so easy to speak against uh, pastors, spiritual or governmental leaders in a careless way. God judged Korah and his followers and um, put a stamp of approval on Moses. Um, now there's a point to all this. I'll sum up this lesson this way. This is how I see this. His first three things that he talks about here of uh, the 
Israelites leaving Egypt, and then um, the angels that rebelled, and also Sodom and Gomorrah. What was their main sin? Their main sin was one of unbelief. It's really hard to separate these with the last three that we got today, Cain, Balaam, and Korah, but certainly pride was behind it, and rebellion. And I'd like to give you this because so often we'll confess the fruit. We'll say, let's take worry. That's a good sin that we all regularly do, isn't it? We worry. But what is the thing here is that we're not believing God. The root sin is that we're not believing God. Or we feel like we've got to be in control, which would be pride. And then we may rebel by trying to figure it all out ourselves. So what can I do? I can confess this worry but I haven't dealt with the root sin. And sometimes Christians will say, well, you know, I've confessed that. I've confessed it several times, but it keeps coming back. Well, it keeps coming back like a weed in your yard when you don't get all the roots out. Guess what? It comes back. Sometimes it seems like it comes back extra big. So we've got to deal not just with the fruit, but we've got to look at the root. And that was what Jude was getting at here. And he gave us some great examples. And I know that some of this is probably new to you, but uh, let's ask the Lord to help us understand this. Father God, I thank you for this little letter of Jude. It is so rich. We could study it day in and day out and still find more things. And it's so apropos for today. Oh God, how we so often have these root sins, like these examples that Jude gave us of pride, of unbelief, and rebellion, and how that really destroys our walk. God, help us not just to confess the fruit, but help us to get at the root that we might have more spiritual success walking with you, Lord, that we might see in a little better way how this all works. And Father, I pray for anyone here today that perhaps um, is not a true believer. Maybe they're just looking in. Maybe they belong to a church, but they've never taken that step bowing the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and your Lordship have never confessed their sins. I pray, Lord, today might be the day where they say, Lord, come into my life and cleanse me. Make me your child, Lord. I don't want to keep playing the game anymore. I don't want to keep running from Christ. I want him to be my Savior. Lord, I pray that you might confirm that to that heart. And for anyone else that's struggling today, Lord, take them by the hand and and encourage their hearts that you indeed love them immensely. You love them so much that you died for them. And me too. And Lord, I just give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.